You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. I'm the high school director here, and uh, because I'm really paranoid about losing my audience, which is typically high schoolers, I talk really fast, and I'm going to try to talk slow. Even this morning, people came up to me and said, yeah, I have to talk slower. Um, But if I am talking too fast, feel free to raise your hand or just talk. I mean, we're such a small group. Oh, I'm already Brett Meyer, thanks. I'm already talking too fast. Uh, Really appreciate that. Um, I'm going to start by telling you about a story, a novel I read recently that was like almost life-changing. It's a beautiful story, and it's called The May Trees. People keep asking me how to spell this. People kept coming up to me after church and asking how to spell this. M-A-Y-T-R-E-E-S. The Matries. It's a couple. It's about a couple, a married couple. Um, and uh, it's the, the, these two characters, Toby and Lou. Toby's the man, Lou's the woman. People are also confused by that. Toby and Lou. And um, it's a very, very unique story. It's, it's just this story of these two people that fall in love and have this amazing romantic experience. And the writer, Annie Dillard, uh, just describes this story so beautifully. And as you're reading it, you're like, really, there is no plot. There's no plot to this story. Uh, They're just meeting, and that's awesome. And then they get married, and that's really cool. It's the way she's writing it. You're just really enamored with these characters. And then they go on vacations, and they have friendships, and they have a baby uh, named Pete. And you're just reading this very simple story. Uh, but you just love this couple so much. And, and you're thinking, I guess as I'm reading this story, I'm just learning about what love is. And every little passage is poetic and inspiring. And I kept just stopping and reading these passages just to my wife and saying, listen to this beautiful love story. Then halfway through the book, something crazy happens. And uh, Toby, the man, just decides he's out. He's done with the marriage. And he leaves. And the, the, the most troubling part about it is that there's no explanation. There's no fighting that's been going on. There's no big problem in their marriage. Um, he just decides that he likes this other woman named Deary. That's her name. And they've, she's kind of been a family friend for a while. And he leaves. And it was so aggravating to be reading this story. I'm like, what the heck is happening to me? I loved this couple. There's nothing wrong. Why is he leaving? Uh, and as I've been thinking about uh, our, our text for the day, I think about how, what that represents about our version or definition of love as American Christians, that uh, we oftentimes uh, don't love or choose an opt-out of love for very similar fuzzy reasons. Like, we just are sort of nonchalant about it. And it's not even like something's going wrong. We just decide, ah, I don't want to love. I mean, it's just all very bland. We, we walk away from hard things. We're, we're uncommitted. Uh, and, and so, like, I, I just thought that represents the kind of love that we have to offer the world too often. And it's, and it's sad and troubling. But I think our passage today has a lot of encouraging and challenging to, things to say about that. So um, would you please stand and read our passage with me tonight? This is uh, in 1 John 3. 11 through 20, and that can be found on page 990 of your Pew Bibles. Let's read it together. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one 
and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So first of all, it says in the title, I think, on, on these bulletins that I'm talking about, My Brother's Keeper. And that was a title that George gave this sermon uh, months back when he was planning out the sermon series. I'm not going to be talking about My Brother's Keeper. That's one of the references from the Cain and Abel story. So just so you're not confused, like, when is he going to talk about My Brother's Keeper? Uh, and uh, I also want to say, before I really get into this, that um, this passage as I, as I planned and prepared for it, was very, very convicting. And it is challenging for me to be up here talking about it because it's not something that I feel like I do very well. So we're, tonight we're talking about sacrificial love. Oftentimes when I'm presenting a talk to the high schoolers I work with, I feel fairly decent about what I'm modeling out for them in terms of what I'm talking about. Um, but, you know, my family was here this morning, and I know they know me better than anybody that I don't live a, a life of sacrificial love. But that's what we're going to be talking tonight about tonight. So basically, what I was talking about earlier in terms of a single definition of love, it's this, it's this thing that has multiple meanings. But according to this passage, Christian love just means simply self-sacrifice. Christian love is laying down our lives for one another. That's the definition. And I'm just going to say three things about this text and about that theme, uh, love is self-sacrificial, uh, to get you thinking a little bit more about it tonight. These three things are the things that basically happened to uh, strike me as I was studying this passage. And the first one is hate and murder are the opposite of love and life. Hate and murder are the opposite of love and life. Now, that seems to be like a first grade Sunday school lesson, right? Like, why do, why do you all adults in this room need to be told that hate and murder are the opposite of love and life? That seems very simple. But I want you guys to think about it a little bit more because I don't think it is. Like, first of all, if you're honest with yourself, I think it's troubling how often those types of things can reside in the same person on the same day, in the same breath, in the same conversation. And one of my uh, seminary professors was famous for always saying that we are evil geniuses, Meaning we'll always convince ourselves that we're better than we actually are. And we'll always convince ourselves that our motivations are actually more pure than they are. Um, one of my best examples of this is this passage that gets misused so much in our Christian circles, which is tell the truth in love or speak the truth in love. Um, 
I'm looking out at your faces. Does it, does, uh, does that sound familiar? Have you heard that phrase before? Head nods. Um, speak the truth in love. I think it's one of the most misused passages in the Bible. Uh, when, when in, the, in that passage, what the writer's talking about specifically when he says speak the truth, he means speak the gospel message. Uh, speak the good news to people in love. And we have totally turned that into uh, handle disputes or get something off your chest or say a harsh word to somebody. And so somebody says, I had to tell this person he had bad breath because I just had to speak the truth in love. And he just needed to know that. Or this guy's a bad driver and I have to tell, speak the truth in love. And and we use that uh, passage as a way to say harsh things. Um, Donald Miller has this great passage where he says something really mean to his wife in one of his books. And he says, words can concuss. Meaning like he says something mean to his wife, he can tell that he's damaged her. And, and these are kind of playful. You're, you have bad breath, you're a bad driver. But we say mean things to people all the time. Oftentimes in the spirit or under the guise of religion or being religious or saying something loving when it's really not. So we have a tendency to cloak our hatred or... Uh, contempt or our jealousy in religious language, and we have a, 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 an uncanny ability to convince ourselves that we're loving others when we're actually not. So it's important to start off a conversation about love, like what is love? What is Well, it's not murder. It's not hurting others. So you can be sure that if you're hurting someone, you're not loving them. <laughs> Uh, but that's more metaphorical. Uh, I think it's also important to point out that we are actually literally murdering, and we're murdering our our environment, uh, and we are murdering people through war around the world, uh, and each other in our own country. I mean, murder is happening all around us for probably very similar reasons. Hate, contempt, jealousy, rage, all these things. Well, as Christians, it's really important, as we're starting off on a conversation about love, to acknowledge that this is the opposite. So if you look at verse 12, um, this passage says, we must not be like Cain. So as we're starting off this, this, this study on love, it says, we must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. So let's, let's make sure we're not like that. Love is self-sacrificial. It doesn't harm others, okay? Um, one of my favorite, uh, I don't know, definitions of love or uh, challenging words about love came from this author. Her name is Dorothy Day. So just pause for a second and just focus on this. Dorothy Day said, you only love God as much as you love the person that you love the least. You only love God as much as you love the person that you love the least. Uh, Love is the opposite of hate. Love is the opposite of murder. And really, we're not... We're not, as Christians, meant to have any sort of filters for that love, which is why I love the, the song that we sing. When I look into the face of my enemy, I see my brother. Um, so first point as we look at this passage is that hate and murder are the opposite of love and life. Second is that sacrificial love is an outward manifestation of an inward reality. Sacrificial love is an outward manifestation of an inward reality. Take a look at verse 14 and 15. Verse 14 and 15 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers. And you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. So these verses are talking about something that happens internally that gets us to love one another or love in a sacrificial way. So 
Um, this isn't like a fake it till you make it mentality, meaning uh, there's something internal that needs to happen, and we believe this, whether it's a, a, you becoming a new creation in Christ, a, a baptism, a receiving of Jesus' spirit within you. That's the starting point. And uh, too often, I think we try to um, do these good works without getting right with God or letting the Holy Spirit move through us. Stanley Harawas is one of my favorite theologians, and he's the theology head of the theology department at Duke Divinity School. He says that he always has these beautiful, awesome critiques of American Christianity. And one of his big critiques is that he says, American Christians believe in belief. So uh, that's basically saying we don't really believe in Jesus. We believe in belief. And uh, or we've made an idol of it. And, and um, I grew up in Young Life. I have friends that work in Young Life. My grandparents and parents worked in Young Life. I have no problem with Young Life. But I oftentimes would call this a Young Life faith, meaning Young Life is a place where you go to initially receive Jesus and become a believer. And it's not meant to stop there. I think any Young Life leader would know that we're meant to get people into the church and to live a life of service and to go further than just that camp experience. So a Young Life faith would just be we went to camp, and I believe now. I believe. That's it. And I'm just going to go live my life. Well, the Christian faith is about more than that. Now that you believe, how are, how are, how are you becoming a disciple in Jesus? How is your relationship working? How is Jesus changing your heart from the inside? And when that happens, uh, th- these, these acts of self-sacrifice seem to, to be able to happen more frequently. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book called Life Together, which is a book we often have high schoolers read as we prepare for mission trips, he said this, human love makes itself an end in itself. Human love makes an end in itself. It creates of itself an end, an idol, in which it worships, to which it must subject everything. This is so good. He's such a good writer. It nurses and cultivates an ideal. It loves itself and nothing else in the world. Spiritual love, however, spiritual love comes from Jesus. It serves Jesus alone, and it knows that it has no immediate access to other persons. It's making an idol of other persons. Jesus stands between the lover and the others he loves. So Christian love starts with Jesus. The the sacrificial acts that John is talking about in this passage are a outward manifestation of an inward reality. Uh, so so if we're not, if we're not uh, experiencing a relationship with Jesus, I, I think it's going to be hard to do what he recommends next, which is what love is. The final and third point is that sacrificial love is a lifestyle. Sacrificial love is a lifestyle. Take a look at verses 16 and 18. We know love by this that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. So this is calling us to small, daily, sort of unsexy uh, versions of loving other people. So, so not this one big, huge thing that you do once and then you say, I love this one time. I did this really great thing. It's, it's daily, minute by minute, cultivating a life of sacrificial love. Uh, I, I, had this, I was reading this commentator who had this really great analogy for this. He said, like, what if you're standing on a dock and somebody runs up past you wildly and jumps in the water and drowns themselves. And as they're drowning, they say, 
This proves that I love you. Look how much I love you. I'm sacrificing myself. Uh, and it doesn't do anything. The person didn't do anything for you. But what if you're actually drowning and a person jumps off the dock and saves you, perhaps uh, harming themselves or drowning themselves in the process? That would actually do something for you. That would express real love because a tangible need was met. So this passage is calling us to meet the tangible needs of brothers and sisters who are in need. That is love. Um, daily, tangible acts of love and sacrifice. Uh, there's a quote from N.T. Wright in a book called After You Believe. So this is speaking to what I was talking about. After you've become a Christian, after you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what happens next? What's, what's the life after that? Uh, certainly it's a life knowing that you're loved and walking with a Savior that loves you, but uh, we're called to live a life of sacrifice. This is what N.T. Wright says in his book, After You Believe. Virtue is what happens when someone has made a thousand small choices requiring effort and concentration to do something which is good and right, but which doesn't come naturally. And then, on the thousand and first time, when it really matters, they find that they do what's required automatically. Virtue is what happens when wise and courageous choices become second nature. Now, when you read that, I think it sounds challenging, but we can all agree that we want that in our lives. We all want these virtuous acts to become second nature. So, looking through this passage, just to reiterate, hate and murder are the opposite of love and life. Sacrificial love is the outward manifestation of an inward reality, and sacrificial love is a lifestyle, a daily decision. I'm going to take you back to my story from the beginning about Toby and Lou, the Matries. Uh, so the story doesn't end there, and I'm going to give away the book, but uh, it's, I still highly recommend it. If, if you're really that upset about it, you can walk out and plug your ears. Uh, <laughs> um, I won't have hurt feelings. But uh, So what happens is Toby leaves, and he goes off with this woman named Deary, and they, are, they have a relationship, and they describe it, and they have a whole life, and it's 20-plus years of them being together. 20 years. And meanwhile, Lou, for a very long time, is completely heartbroken. And she's messed up and wrecked and doesn't know what to do with her life. She can't move on. They had the, she was part of this beautiful love story. She was left by herself. Uh, but after some years, she actually uh, moves on. And she loves her life by herself. And she starts to, to revel in that. And she has her friendships and her rhythms. She never dates or gets remarried. And she becomes this really lovely person that, that again, as, as you're reading this book, there really isn't much plot aside from these are really interesting people. And you love Lou and her life by herself now. And then something really bizarre happens. Toby's wife, Deary, uh, gets congestive heart failure. So she can no longer take care of herself and Toby has to carry her around everywhere she goes, upstairs, downstairs, wherever they go, he carries her. And then he slips on some ice and breaks both his arms. And for reasons that would take too long to uh, unpack right now, basically, they don't have money for a doctor, they don't have any family and friends they can go to, and uh, Toby's only option, he realizes, is to ask Lou, the woman he used to be married to, if, he, if she would help them. They haven't talked in over 20 years. And there's this scene where he's walking on the beach trying to get to their old house. And it's a storm. And he's like rehearsing the speech a lot like the prodigal son. He's terrified. He's nervous. Not only is he terrified of seeing her for the first time in 20 years, but what if she says no? He's out of options. 
And so I'm, I'm going to read you what happens in the story. Uh, this is after already she's opened the door, just them seeing each other for the first time, the ways that that's written. I'm already like crying. And he sits down, he gets some tea, and they're just there. And she has a bit of a hunch of why he's there, but this is, this is how it's written. Deary's dying real soon. He looked up at her like the gentleman he was. Maybe you've heard. She nodded. Actually, she doesn't know she's dying. I always promised to bring her to Provincetown to die, and here we are. I can't take care of her anymore. I broke my arms. I can't take care of myself. And then, dear, and then uh, Lou says, I'll take care of her. And then it says, what would ease Deary? Lou would have to learn. She bade her solitude goodbye. Goodbye, no schedule but whim. Goodbye, her life among no things but her own and each always in place. Goodbye, no real meals. Goodbye, free thought. The whole fat flock of them flapped away. But what was solitude for if not to foster decency? And when I read that passage, uh, I'd never experienced anything like that before. That's a beautiful story. And it still moves me. It's the fourth time I've read it today and I still get choked up. (laughs) Um, I think think this is what captivates us about the Christian life. We've, We've seen Jesus do this for us. It moved us to believe in the first place. Uh, we have seen people love like this in our lives and heard the stories. We want to love like this, and I really believe it that we're capable of it. Um, but it's like N.T. Wright said, it's small daily decisions that lead up to the moment like this where we're given this opportunity, and because we've been practicing virtues, because we've been practicing a life of self-sacrifice, it's hopefully going to be a lot like Luke. It's almost a casual yes. It's not some big thing, well, let let me pray for it, or let me, let me go back, and, I'll, and maybe in three months I'll be able to help you. She just says, yes, I'll do it. And it, I, I, was, I was struck as I was reading that how, how deficient we are in terms of our pop culture and our shows, because we know that most pop cultures would, or pop culture television shows would know that we need that dopamine hit of her slamming the door in his face. That would be so much more rewarding. Um, but this is a challenge, isn't it? This passage, this story is a challenge. So this is the type of love that we're called to model to the world. Uh, these are the types of lives that we're called to lead. I, I'm going to end on one um, other thought. As I was preparing for this sermon, I couldn't help uh, but think of refugees. Uh, in, in our culture, that's, that's a hot topic right now. We're seeing it in the news. It's heartbreaking what we're seeing. Uh, I actually am, had been made an administrator on our UPC Facebook page a while back. And I will often get on my Facebook and I'll have like 20 new notifications and I'm always thinking it's something that I did and I get really excited and then I realize it's everybody's liking something UPC did. Um, but I want to put this picture up here on the screen. Uh, this is a picture that we posted on our UPC uh, Facebook page and this is a picture of some of our UPC community picking up refugees at the airport. And the caption said, UPC loves refugees. And I get choked up just looking at it. But this, this picture got so many likes and so much enthusiasm around it. And, when, and uh, when we think about this passage today, about living a life of self-sacrificial love, I, I think it's only appropriate to affirm, to, just to simply affirm that we love and welcome refugees. And I want to, I want to draw your attention to two organizations, World Vision, um, 
I almost forget what their perfect little saying is when they talk about what they do. World Vision says they, they are, that they are dangerously soft-hearted. Dangerously soft-hearted. Don't you think that goes so well with what we're talking about today? So uh, World Vision is, a, is, a, is an organization that's doing great work with refugees, and another one is World Relief, but I encourage you guys to share resources and organizations as well. Um, we love and welcome refugees at UPC. It was, it was, I was just as happy to see that picture as I'm sure all of you are as well. And instead of me closing with a pastoral prayer tonight, I'm going to have us watch a prayer that World Vision uh, put out for Syrian refugees, and that's how we'll end tonight. Lord, we don't understand what is going on in the Middle East. We come to you and we plead with you to be merciful, to guide us, to help us not to despair, to help us see what we can do, even if it is something small in order to meet this tremendous challenge that is in front of us. We pray for everyone who is involved to alleviate suffering among the refugees. Lord, we want to believe that things are not out of your control. You have your own loving purposes and we pray that somehow you may draw some good out of all this evil. We pray for the sake of your kingdom and in Jesus' name, Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.